glad that we have the opportunity to do that and we can come together with other believers and experience what happens when two or three are gathered together in his name because it's a rich experience. Amen. I'd like to, to look to the word of God today and I want to get a wad of keys out of my pocket first. Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles today, I'd like you to turn to the 14th chapter of John. I'd like to do a little teaching uh, tonight because there's a, there's a portion of Scripture here that I think it's very fitting to the Easter season, and I think it's great to teach from this passage prior to the Easter season. And this is a in the setting, Jesus is teaching his disciples. He's called them aside for a time of teaching. And he's teaching them. They're, they're asking questions. He's teaching them. And if you would, if you would read back a, a chapter or so, you kind of can get the context. I'll try to put it in context in my teaching tonight. But there's a portion of Scripture. I'd like to begin reading with verse 22, reading through verse 27 of John chapter 14. Now when I read this passage, just remember I'm, I'm lifting this out of a setting. I want to try to present it in its setting, but just from what we read, it's not the whole picture, it's just a portion. But, but read along with me from John chapter 14, began with verse 22. Judas said unto him, now this was not Judas Iscariot, but Judas asked, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And I would like to really preach from that final verse, verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now I would like to take this passage of Scripture and try to put it in the context that, it's, that it really is in Scripture. I'd like to, to tell you kind of what was happening before this little verse, this little passage of Scripture came into being. First of all, Jesus is speaking with his disciples and he's talking to them in a way that they don't understand but the part that they think they understand, they don't like what they're hearing. Because Jesus says, you know, yet a little while and I'm leaving. I'm not going to be with y'all much longer. Uh, I'm going away. And, in, and then he makes a statement in verse 21, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Now when it says I will manifest myself to him, 
that begins narrowing the group of, of, of the ones that Jesus is going to manifest him, himself to. Just he that, that taketh my commandments, he hath my commandments, he keepeth my word and loves me. And that's that little narrow focus group that I'm going to manifest myself to. Now, put yourself in the minds of those disciples. They wanted a Messiah. They wanted a deliverer. At the triumphal entry, they loved that. At the time that he was feeding 5,000 people and they were scattered all over the fields sitting in front of Jesus, they loved that. When the crowds were around the house so much that they had to let someone down through the roof, they loved that. The more the merry because it seemed like they were getting closer to the time of a coronation of a Messiah. Someone that was going to jerk the Romans off of their back and, and step into the place of rulership and authority. And one of those blessed men could be on the right maybe and one of them could be on the left and they were, that's the frame of mind that Jesus walks into this little portion of Scripture with. His disciples are very disappointed and confused that Jesus says, I'm getting ready to leave. And then he uses words like, I'm, I'm going to go, but I'm going to let the comforter come back to you. They didn't understand. That language was really foreign to them. What? I don't understand that. And this is when the passage opens up Judas, and not Judas is a carrot, there was another. He asked, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? What I want you to do is manifest yourself to the world. I want you to show yourself as king and, and Messiah and all-powerful. You've, you've healed here and you've healed there, but the rulers still reject you. Can't you just usurp their authority and you become king and ruler and then you take over the world? That's what they wanted to happen. They wanted him to manifest himself to the multitude. But instead, he started redirecting their thinking quite handily, really. He said, you know, I'm, I'm really going to be going to those people who have my commandments, obey me, and love me. That's the ones to whom I'm going to manifest myself. And he starts changing their, their paradigm, if you want to use a, a good up-to-date term. He starts changing their views of things, what they really thought was going to happen, he's starting to turn that around so they see that something else is going to happen. And that's what this passage of Scripture, that's kind of the setting for this passage of Scripture. And I would like to, to bring that to us tonight. In, in the passage of Scripture, the verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. I would like to talk tonight about peace. Because in an Easter season, one of the greatest things that's, that is present in the teaching of Easter is peace. You know, we think of it as Christmas also, but, but in Easter time, that's when we think of peace. Because Jesus Christ brings something to us through his death, burial, and resurrection that nothing else can bring to us, and that is peace. You know, from the very start, if you'd walk all the way back to the Garden of Eden, if you would transport yourself in your mind to the Garden of Eden and think what, even prior to the Garden of Eden as we think of it, the world was without form. The world was void. The world was chaos. There was no order there. But yet God Almighty did not like 
chaos. He did not want chaos to continue. And one of the first things that he, that he created was light. And he separated light from darkness. And he started bringing order to a chaotic world. He started bringing peace to a, a mixed up, troubled world. And then he called the, the light day and the darkness he called night. And then he put a sun there to rule by day and a moon to rule by night. And he began bringing more order to the world. He, he created stars, and the evening and the morning were the days. And he brought order to a, to a chaotic world because he's a God of peace. But then sin entered the picture. Adam and Eve sinned thanks to the devil's intervention and temptation. They sinned, and the order that God had creatively constructed began to be torn down. The peace that man had with their creator they could walk with him in the cool of the evening. What a blessed peace was there. That peace began to be unraveled thread by thread until there was no peace. There was enmity between God and man. Man hid behind fig leaves, behind a tree. They didn't want to be in the presence of God as God had been accustomed to walking with them. God didn't hide from man. Man hid from God. And it's that way in your life. God never hides from you. If in times you think your prayers aren't going very high, God is not hiding. He's not intentionally drawing himself away from you. But instead, he is constantly wooing and drawing you to him. Why? Because he doesn't want that chaos, that confusion in your life to continue. He wants to bring peace because he is a God of peace. If you look to any good author, there's no book that's a good book. How many of you like to read a story, a good story? There's no good story that doesn't have conflict in it. I love it if I'm going to read just a, a book. I've read so many study books for education, sometimes I just crave a book. But I love it when there's a, a, almost immediately you're you're right in the middle of conflict of some kind. But a book is no book if it leaves you in conflict. It's got to end and they live happily ever after. That's how a book ought to end. You know? I mean, it, it can go through some convoluted, conflicting ways to get there. But if the book is going to be satisfied, satisfying to the, to the normal human being, if there is such a thing as a normal human being, then they want that conflict to be answered, settled. They want that conflict to come to a resolution that they can feel good about the end of the book. You know, there's a gospel song, I read the back of the book and we win. Why? Because even in the Bible, just like any other good book, although the Bible is a lot more than just a good book, but, but there's conflict, but in the end, we win. That conflict is resolved. Now, God is a God of peace. In creation, he created order in, in the process. Then when that order was destroyed, he starts bringing it all back together again. I'm glad that he is a God of peace for us. He brings that to us. But when we think of some things about peace and about the passage of Scripture that we're reading, we have to understand a few things. And when, when, we, when we can understand 
really what God does for us. You know, sometimes we, we may think we understand what God does for us, but, but we don't always grasp it. You know, at the first I mentioned about sometimes we, we know more than we understand. We, we, we don't, we think we know, but we don't, we don't fully grasp it. And that's how the disciples were at this time of their life and their experience with Jesus Christ. They understood in part. You know, if anyone was looking through glass darkly, they were because they still saw him as their Messiah. They were walking with him Sometimes they were no better than those who were walking just for the loaves and the fishes. They were walking at times just to be assured that they would have a left hand or a right hand position. They were, they were eager, even their parent, their mother was eager for them to come to a position of authority with Jesus Christ. And yet he comes saying, you know, I'm going to be here just a little longer and then I'm leaving. And all of a sudden their disappointment in him their concern for the future. Hey, I've given up my nets. I quit fishing. I let somebody else take over the family business for a while. And, and if this doesn't pan out, what am I going to do? Go back and kick that guy off the boat and me take back the family business? I'm, I'm concerned about the future. And sometimes in our lives, we are concerned about the future when what we think should happen doesn't happen. The disciples knew what they thought was going to happen. They thought that was how it was going to be, but it wasn't turning out that way. Jesus promised them, in verse 27, peace. In the course of this conversation that he had with the disciples, he was offering them peace. They struggled to know what it was, how it was going to come to pass, uh, when would it happen, they, they saw the Roman oppression. They knew there was no peace in their, in their concept of, of them being in control of that peace. And they were concerned about it. The whole world was looking for peace, even at that time. But what the disciples were facing in, in their need for peace was an understanding of what the future would hold for them. What's the future like? me. Without Jesus, without him being the Messiah, what is it for me? You know, sometimes in our times of not knowing what's going to happen, we get concerned about our future. Am I going to have enough money to retire? Am I going to live so long that I outlive my retirement? Am I going to survive that bout with cancer? What's the future in that? What about my children? Will they ever return back to God and we in our in our not knowing the future oftentimes we get unsettled and we have we experience a lack of peace Jesus came to the disciples in this frame of mind not knowing what the future was Jesus came to them and, and told them I'm going to bring you peace they didn't they didn't understand it they couldn't figure it out and perhaps they are like so many people in the world so many people in the world are looking for peace in all the wrong places. When people in this world get to that troubled state of, of 
unpeacefulness, when they are distraught, when they're in despair, they're despondent, they're discouraged, they turn to a lot of things to try to bring peace. Now, we can name them. They will turn to alcohol. If I can get drunk enough, I can forget all my troubles. I can drink my troubles away. One of the worst advertisements I've heard on KMOX since I've been in St. Louis. Cheap, cheap, fun, fun. Their, their ad was, the more you drink, the prettier she gets. Now that's the most horrible ad. If I had a daughter, and I thought that was referring to a guy thinking of my daughter that way, if I drink enough, your daughter's going to get pretty. That's a horrible ad. But that's what people do. If I can get drunk enough, my troubles will go away. Or if I can get enough drugs in my system, my troubles will go away. I, I can do it. If I can take enough prescription drugs, I can get rid of not of the pain of my back or my arm or my side or my leg, but I can get rid of these emotional troubles that are, that are dragging me down. I can't make it through a day. Something has got to get me through this. And they're seeking for peace in all the wrong places. Now, we know we will never be at peace until we're at peace with God. I can never be at peace with myself until I'm at peace with God. We know that. But they don't know that. They don't know that. Now, some of your histories I know. Some of your histories I do not know. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but if I did, I could ask this question. How many of you have drowned your trouble in alcohol? Don't, don't raise your hand. I see one volunteer back there. Now, if we would ask for a show of hands, there would be a lot of you that would not raise your hand, and you would not know what these other people have experienced. You don't know how desperate they were they did not want to do that, but they did that trying to drown the troubles. If I would ask you, how many of you have, have taken enough drugs of whatever sort to try to drown your troubles for long enough that you could forget them? And if I'd ask for a show of hands, some of you would. Some of you would not. And those who would not or have not, you don't understand what it's like to go through what they've been through. But let me bring it to something you do know. How many of you, you wanted something, and you wanted it real badly, but you didn't have none, enough money to buy it, so you told yourself, I'm going to buy it on, on my credit card. I'll pay it off for the next 15 years, but I'm going to get it. Why? Because there was something you wanted that you couldn't get. And so to, to ease that desire, you bought it on credit, and then you had to pay the piper for months after that. Okay, it's, a, it's, it's not like drowning your troubles in wine and alcohol and drugs and all that. It's not just like that, but, but you do get a little similar picture. How many of you have ever worked with somebody that was a devil? You could not get along with them. It may have been a boss or a peer. Same hand going up in the back. Yeah, now the hands are going up willingly. Yeah, I can't work with this guy anymore. He's, he's awful to work with. Every time I come here, it's awful. My younger son, Brad, was working for, some of you may know, Jim Gunn. Jim Gunn own, owns a mechanic shop in Florissant. 
and he, Brad was still in high school. He asked Brad to come work for him. Brad went to work for him, changing flats and, and balancing tires, and, go, and he went on up and, and got to be a, a decent worker there. But Brad had been there for a while, and all, every mechanic has his own tools. That's just the rule of the game. You know, the mechanic has his own nice toolbox. They have them now with speakers in them and, and strobe lights in them. Have cool ones. But so he went to, he and I went to Sears, and with his money, he bought himself uh, a high-rise toolbox, you know, about this big. It was the chest and the box on top of that, lid open, drawers open. He bought the little rubber mats to put in them so his, so, his, so his crescent wrench wouldn't get scratched, you know. He did all this stuff. He's very particular. And so we brought it to the, to the shop one day, and it was, it was in the back of the truck. We had tied it up against the side. Brad untied it. And we was getting ready to lift it down, and he was on the bottom part of, of it, and I was on the, in the truck on the top, and we were going to pick it down. There was one guy there that worked with him. He was older than Brad, married guy, and he was a pain. He was a devil in hide. Uh, he was vile speaking. He was contemptible in his talk. Um, Jim has had a lot of workers there, so you don't know who I'm talking about. But he was, he was, a, he was just not a good, pleasant person to be around. And, and Brad hadn't been working there too long at this point, but he needled Brad. He pestered Brad. He cursed at Brad. And, and Jim, Jim is a wise man. He knew that if he defended Brad, Brad could never stand for himself in that mechanic shop. So it was up to Brad. And, and I, hadn't, I had not been around the shop to know that. And so when I'm, I'm up here getting ready to put the, help Brad get to sit the, the box on the ground, and Brad is, Brad is, you know, he's got it up like this at, at tailgate height. And then he bends down with it, and I'm lifting from, I'm, I'm not doing much from the top. But, but Brad lifts it down, and Brad is like this on the ground with his hands still under there. Those little wheels are down there. Brad is in a very awkward position. He's still holding some of the weight of it. And this guy, verbally, jumps a straddle of him, spurring for all he can, just cursing and ranting and raving about, Brad, what do you think you are? What kind of mechanic? Oh, why'd you bring all these new tools? He's afraid you'll get them scratchy. But it just went on and on. But, but, but a vile, not just a teeth, but a cursing, uh, vile way. And, he's, and Brad's down like this. And... Jim finally has enough of it. And, and as a dad, I've had enough of it. Way more than enough of it. But I know, too, that that's not a battle I can fight for Brad. But Jim is standing over here, the boss, the owner, and he's had all he can take of this, of one of his employees berating a new employee the way he did, a young, a young boy. And Jim asked Brad, said, Brad, are you going to take this from him? Because Brad wasn't doing anything to defend himself. Are you going to take this from him? And Brad is down here like this. And Brad says, I learned a long time ago that little dogs bark loud. That's all he said. I had never said that phrase in my life. He didn't hear it from me. I had never heard that phrase. And I don't know where Brad got that. Probably God. He did pray. That guy turned and walked away. And to Brad... He never said another curse word. He never jumped to straddle him anymore. He realized that he had been bested at his own game. Now, I tell you that. Say, have you ever worked with somebody like this guy? Yeah. And have you ever said, you know, I'm going to take a vacation. 
I'm taking a week's vacation. It's going to be so nice not to have him here. But when you get back from vacation, he's still there. Now, when someone gets drunk to, to try to get away from their troubles, when they get off the drunk, the troubles are still there. And if you've never been drunk, then maybe my vacation story or my credit card story will help you to understand what people do to try to find peace in a situation. Maybe next time I can take a two-week vacation and get over this guy. You know, there's people do amazing things to try to find peace in their life. The world just looks for peace in all the wrong places. But when we look at what Jesus said, and I'm picking up in chapter 14, verse 25, These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you, but the Comforter which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've said unto you. He's promised them a comforter, but they don't understand that. After the day of Pentecost, they understood more clearly what he said. After the day of Pentecost, the Bible records it, and then his words came back to them. They remembered it. They recalled what he had said earlier. But at this point, they didn't have the experience to flesh out their little bit of knowledge that they had. But in verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now, I would like to look at that, the, the part of that passage that he, that he said, and I, I, think it, I think it works. You know, some things you read in Scripture, and it's real, it's true, but it's just not clicking for you just yet. But to me... This particular passage works for me. And I want to read the first part of verse 27 again. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Now, if you were reading that quickly, you may not even pause with a question. Peace I leave to you, my peace I give, not as the world gives. But I would like to talk about the difference between the peace God got for us and the peace the world had for us. But I'd like to take it a little differently because the only way we can understand, understand Scripture is to take it back to the times in which those people were living. Then we can project it into our times. Nothing wrong with that. I think God intended His Scripture to be for them as well as for us. But we better understand it when we can look at Scripture in their time. What kind of peace did the world know at the time Jesus was telling them? this. What kind of peace did he said, I'm not going to give you a peace that the world gives. What kind of peace did the world give? The peace that the world gave at that point was known as Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Because for all of the, the countries surrounding the Mediterranean Sea, the Mediterranean world, they call it, all the Mediterranean world was at peace. It was the Roman peace. It was the peace of Rome. When you read uh, some of the historians, they will tell you, though, that that peace that everyone enjoyed was forced peace. Rome had the most powerful armies in the world at that point. They had the most powerful world, uh, powerful armies. And if any country or any group of people would rise up against Rome, Rome would squash that people in order to maintain peace. Peace was gained by enforcement. 
and yet the disciples were wanting Jesus to come in and, and upset the Romans and drive the Romans out and they wanted him to be the Messiah and him to take over the world and them to rule and reign with him. They wanted it all to happen in the here and now, but Jesus had a better plan. And so rather than just hushing his disciples, he just started gently redirecting their, their thinking pattern. I'm talking to you not about the peace that this world gives. I'm not, and, and he didn't go into detail, but I think they knew what he's talking about because they understood the peace of Rome. They understood that they were living at peace with their neighbors because Rome enforced it. If there were any groups, any zealots that had risen up, even among the, the Jewish people, Rome had squashed them. They knew that. Historically, they knew that. And so they, were, they understood how that peace of Rome was granted and how it was continued. It was enforced by the armies. Jesus could have done it their way, his disciples' way. He could have fought death with death. You're going to kill me if I rise up against you, so I'm going to rise up higher than you are and kill you. And he could have won. One song, somebody wrote it, he could have called 10,000 angels. Some of you old people will remember that song. But he died alone for you and me. He could have called 10,000 angels. Brother Sorrells, you're old enough to remember that song, I would imagine. Uh, maybe not, but you probably are. The Way Sisters know those song, that song. I saw you laughing at my comments about the Sorrells, so yeah. You too. Yeah, I could, Jesus could have said, I can take the Romans on. I can call my legions of angels down. I can wipe them out. I can set up a kingdom on this earth. But if he would have done that, all he would have done was conquered their death with him killing them instead of him killing them killing him. And it would have just been a, a death thing. But he had a better picture, a better plan. He wanted to conquer not just the Romans. He wanted to conquer death. Death. It's more than just conquering an army. Because if Jesus would have conquered Rome, all he would have been was just another in a long line of, of armies and kingdoms and rulers. And sometimes somebody would upset his apple cart because all he did was conquer death by death. But instead, he conquered death by life. He accomplished something that no one had ever accomplished before. And that's why I thrill to this passage of Scripture at this season of the year, at the Easter season as we're celebrating it. He's coming to conquer death, hell, and the grave. And when I think of what he did, it makes me better appreciate and understand what he really did for me and for you. Because peace is a promised gift from God. Scriptures like, it is righteousness, peace, and joy in what? In the Holy Ghost. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So when I am filled with the Holy Ghost, I can anticipate, I can expect being filled with righteousness, peace, and joy. It's not a, a righteousness that I, that I have. God gives me that righteousness. My righteousness is, is this filthy rag. It's righteousness, peace, and joy. It's not a, a hilarious happiness kind of joy, but it's that deep, settled joy that Jesus Christ brings when he lives within. I love it. But the other one is peace. Peace is not the absence of conflict, but it's God's presence in the midst of conflict. 
Sometimes we think if we can get all of our problems solved, then we can get enough money to retire and know that we can retire and, and not run out of money. If we know that our sons and daughters are going to come home, if we know that we can survive around with cancer, if we, if we know the future and all these things, then we can have peace. But that is not what Jesus was promising. Jesus was letting them know that even though I go away, I'm going to send a comforter. And my peace, I leave with you. Sometimes when we think of Jesus departing, we think of us having no peace. But Jesus, at, it, at the time of his departure, he was assuring them that he was going to come again. He was going to send the comforter. He was going to come in his name. And it would be there. It would be there to teach us and to guide us and direct us, lead us into all truths. There was a purpose for the comforter coming. But at the same time, his peace, he said, I will leave with you my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I you, but it's the peace that I have to give you. And how did he get that peace? How did he purchase it? You know, the greatest threat to you is death. I've said this before, probably said it here before. If someone would threaten to kill my wife, that would probably be a bigger threat to me than if they threatened to kill me. That's just how men and women feel against, about those whom they love. They want to protect them, shield them. But even that, it's the subject of death that enters there. But it's the assurance that Jesus Christ conquered death, and even as he conquered death, so also does he empower us to conquer death. Not by our power, not by our might, but it's by what he experienced and what he did, then we can also conquer death through him. The same spirit that raised up Christ from the dead is going to dwell in us also, and it will raise us up. So we have an assurance that death is not final in our lives. In this life, you will never see justice happen in all of your problems. Just thought I'd tell you. When you come to the grave, when you're laying in your casket, there's going to be some things that happen in your life that you always wanted justice to, to come about, and it won't have happened. Just let you know that. But that's why I believe in, in the world to come. Because justice will happen there. People are not going to get off with doing bad. And so when I look at the peace that Jesus gives, there's a peace that comes to me that is a comfort and a thrill to my heart. It brings something to me that nothing can can replace, nothing can take its place. And then the last part of that verse, of verse 27, Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. <clears throat> now that, in a sense, that is a commandment that God was given. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be dismayed. If, if you was going to write that on a poster, it would, it would be, Stay calm and trust Jesus with a little crown up there. Stay calm. What was Jesus saying and to whom was he speaking? He was speaking to a man named Peter. Not too long after this, Peter's in a garden. Jesus is praying. Peter's sleeping. Peter wakes up. Jesus prays some more. Peter sleeps some more. Finally, they all are awake and Jesus is speaking to them and, and they see torchlights coming into the garden and there's soldiers coming and they, they take Jesus. 
Peter, in his defense of Jesus, he cuts off this guy's ear, and, and he's already bragged. He said, I'll never betray you, Jesus. I'll never deny you. And so Peter follows at a distance. They take Jesus down to a place of trial and mockery. And there's a campfire outside, and he's resting, or he's warming himself at the campfire. There's another disciple there unnamed. But, but Peter is there. Peter is named. We know he's there. And somebody says, oh, you're one of Jesus. No, no, not me. Oh, yes, you are. You're one of Jesus. No, 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 not me. And the third time he swears or curses, says, I don't know the man. Then he realizes what he's done. What caused Peter to deny that he knew Christ? Jesus had just told him, we just read it, don't be afraid. Let not your heart be troubled. But yet, just a little bit after that passage, when the, Jesus told him, I'm your comforter. I'm going to bring you peace. Don't be afraid. He is fearful. Main reason he's fearful, he's lost his faith. He's lost his faith in Jesus Christ. He doesn't know if that Jesus is the Messiah that he thought he was or not. So he's lost his faith in Jesus Christ and he's in a fearful state. So just because Jesus has commanded us to be not afraid doesn't mean that we are not afraid. Just as he commanded us to be filled with the Spirit doesn't mean we're filled with the Spirit. Because there's some commandments he told us that we don't, we're not living up to that yet. But when Jesus told them to be not afraid, it was because he knew that at some point in the near future, he was going to be pouring out of his spirit upon all flesh. On that day of Pentecost, there was a glorious event going to happen. Peter, the man who said, I'll never deny you, and yet he said, I don't even know him. I'm not one of his disciples, and he cursed. And yet after that infilling of the Holy Ghost, after that empowerment, some of you know Brother, Brother Tom Fred Tennant. He preached a sermon one time, From the Chicken House to the Powerhouse. And that, that title of his message sticks in, mind yet today, in my mind yet today. From the chicken house of that campfire, when he said, I don't even know him, to the powerhouse on the day of Pentecost. And yet all of the disciples, almost all of the disciples, suffered a martyr's death because they were not afraid. What made the difference? What made the difference between Peter's fear around that campfire and later when he was crucified, was he crucified upside down on a cross or like an X cross? The other disciples burnt, boiled in oil, all the other awful things that happened to them, the way they died, the martyrs that died, flayed, beheaded, burned at stake. How could they do that? Were they afraid? Not with that kind of fear, no. Because there was a peace that God had given to them. It is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And when those times of pressure come, there is peace there. I'm thankful for that peace. It makes a difference in our lives. <clears throat> Many years ago, back in 1996 to be exact, <clears throat> some of you know this part of my history. I'm not telling it all. Just tell a brief part of it. I was having to have a major surgery. I'd gotten a second opinion. This was late one evening. <clears throat> they said, we need to have this surgery. Your liver, if, if you do not have the surgery within 48 hours, your liver will be irreparably damaged, and we need to do this surgery. And when you hear language like that, you want to get it done. Come on, let's get it done quick. <laughs> so the, the final doctor came in. I'd asked for a second opinion. He came in, gave the same story that the others had given. And my wife and I are there. We're the only two at the hospital. This was late at night. 
We'd had a lot of people coming and going, praying with us through the day. And the, the doctors had set up the surgery for early the next morning. The nurse came in. All the lights had already been turned off except that one little flicker light they always leave on in a hospital room. You know how I'm, what I'm talking about, Sister Dawn. Uh, so I'm, I'm in, the, in the room. My wife's in there with me. And the nurse comes in, said, Mr. Buford. And she was so chirpy, you know. Mr. Buford, I'm coming here. I'm, I'm ready to give you your sleeping pill. I said, ma'am, you mind if I don't take it? She said, but Mr. Buford, you need to take it. You've got a busy day tomorrow. You need a good rest tonight. You need, you need to take this so you can sleep. I said, ma'am, I don't normally have trouble sleeping. She said, this is not a normal night, sir. You've got surgery in the morning. I said, ma'am, I don't normally have any trouble sleeping. If you'll just give me 10 minutes, just come back in 10 minutes. If I'm not asleep, you can give me any pill you want. Give me 10 minutes. And she said, okay. So she went out. And I said, Lord, got a busy day tomorrow. It's more busy for you than it is for me. I'm just going to sleep through it. But I'd like a good night's rest. I don't want to be fitful through the night. I don't want to have worries. I just want to sleep. And God just put a verse of Scripture in my mind. I want to read it to you right now. I like it. It says from Philippians 4, verse 7, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and mind through Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which passeth all understanding. And in that little brief 10-minute period of time, I realized that I didn't understand what was going on. It was beyond me. I didn't understand the problem. I didn't understand what caused it. I didn't understand why it happened to, had to happen to me. I didn't understand any of that. I didn't understand what the possibilities of a surgery going bad could be. I didn't understand all of that. But all of a sudden, I had a peace that passed all of the stuff that I couldn't understand. And it, it got in there in deep in my spirit, deep in my soul and heart. And I went to sleep with that scripture rolling over my mind. But when I woke up, first thing when I woke up in the morning, I remembered he gave me peace that passes all my understanding. I don't know if the nurse ever came back or not. I slept through it all. It was wonderful. How could I have that peace? I don't say that to brag about me. I didn't write that scripture and I didn't put it in my mind. God did. But he was able to put into me a peace. Where did that peace come from? I think it came through the Holy Ghost. It was righteousness, peace, and joy that came through the Holy Ghost. I'm thankful that I stand here today healthy and whole. I appreciate God for all he's done. I give him full credit. The doctor later, the, the surgeon, said, all I can say is there was somebody upstairs listening. And I agree. I can concur with the surgeon. So what does that mean for us here tonight? I know the time is 8.29. Pastor tries to get you out at 8.30. Tries to. But what does that mean for us here tonight? I'd like to try to put all of that again in this Easter season. The reason I can have that is because he won victory, not by fighting death with death. But he, fought, he did it by, by fighting death with life. And he did die. He didn't let Rome win. He did die. But then he came forth victorious. Why are we going to celebrate Easter Sunday morning? It's because he lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. Hallelujah. That's resurrection. That's what, it all, that's what it's all about. But what does that resurrection do for us? No matter who's in control, I can have peace. 
Because my peace is in the one who overcame death. And my greatest threat is death. When politicians don't do it like I want them to do it, I can still have peace. When the world is threatened to be at war tomorrow, I can still have peace. Do I like the circumstances? No. But can I have personal peace? Yes. When I have peace with God, everything else that involves me can be at peace. When all of my family is in a turmoil, can I have peace? Yes. How can I have peace? It's because it's a peace that passes understanding. It's a peace that, pass, that, that cometh through the power of the Holy Ghost. It's a peace that cometh because He lives, I can live. One other old song says, because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. Because I know He holds my future. It's a glorious song. But He lives. He lives. And because He lives, I can have peace. And I offer that to you this week especially. There is a peace that passeth all of your understanding. When your life is not peaceful, you can still have peace. When your work situation is not peaceful, you can still have peace. The disciples found out that Rome was still in power, but they had peace. They were willing to die because death had no, held no threat for them any longer. Shall we stand today? <clears throat> peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. <clears throat> we can't predict the future. We may suspect a few things. God's word will direct us in a few areas. But we don't know if we would survive a bout of cancer. We don't know if our children will return back to the fold. We don't know a lot of things in life. But we do know we can have peace no matter what comes. No matter what comes. And we could talk a long time about that. But the most comforting thing is we can have peace no matter what comes. We don't have to go searching for peace in bottles, pills, needles. But instead we find our, our peace in the Prince of Peace. Can anybody quote our little verse from Isaiah chapter 9? Maybe verse 6. Can anybody quote that? Unto us a son is given. Government shall be upon his shoulder. And what are, what's one of the terms we're going to call him? His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And what's going to be on his shoulder? The government shall be on his shoulder. You tell me in the life of Christ what stands out to you as being on his shoulder. The cross. The cross was on his shoulder. And of his government, there shall be no end. One of the things that holds us today is a cross. Not just the, the cross, the beams. But the fact that when we say the word cross, we accompany it with a resurrection. So the cross is not a threat. It's not a bad word. Death, tomb, not a bad word because we do know the end of the story. That conflict has been resolved. He arose. Hallelujah. Christ arose. And because of that, we have peace that passeth understanding. I pray that you'll go this week filled with peace. His peace he leaves to you. Not as this world gives. It's not fought for. It's not enforced, but it's from Him. It's a gift.
Amen. Hallelujah. Can we pray? Lord Jesus, I thank you that one of the descriptives of you is the Prince of Peace. Thank you, Lord, that you're the Prince of Peace in our lives. We can go through this coming week. No matter what happens, no matter what comes our way, we can have that peace of God, Lord. Thank you for that promise. Thank you for that assurance. We can fear not, oh God. We can fear not because of the peace that you've brought to us. You've overcome the world. You've brought us the peace. We thank you, Lord. Go with us, we ask. Let this be a blessed week. I pray that your resurrection can mean more to us than ever before. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. Walk in peace this week. Have peace. You're made peace. You have peace through the word. God bless you.